Judges 13 uh, to verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And then at verse 24, towards the end of chapter 13. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manadan, between Zorah and Eshtol. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, but he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came towards him, roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the women. And she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast for them. The young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell what it is, within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle, that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me, you do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. 
And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother. Shall I tell you? She wept before him for the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had explained the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. After some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a younger goat, and he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not the younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard of the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing corn of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked corn and the standing corn as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. And the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey... Heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and the place was called Ramath Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord, and he said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, And water came out from it, and when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. And therefore the name of it was called En-Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. 
and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. Amen. We continue reading at chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him. And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web, And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head 
For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out, as at other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, our god has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which, this, on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. Amen. Well, if you could open your Bibles to Judges, well, 13 through to 16. It was a big passage that we read there. Um, If you've been with us and we've been looking through the book of Judges, I wonder how you're feeling as we read Judges, Um, especially after just reading that Samson narrative. I kind of, when I was reading it, thinking... 
things are just getting a bit mental here. Things are starting to get a bit crazy. Uh, I feel that somebody should have gone up to Samson and just told him to calm down a little bit. Uh, but that's what we've been seeing. The book of Judges is this kind of moral, uh, is a book about the moral and religious degeneration of God's people. It is this downward spiral. And the further we get into the book of Judges, the more uncomfortable it is to read um, there's stuff in today's passage that uh, is kind of edgy and kind of strange. There's some bits that are quite funny as well. Um, but as we go on, and as we'll see uh, next week and the following week, it gets really, really, really bad. Um, I hope you were able to, to follow the, the long reading there. Uh, it's quite an exciting read, the story of Samson. It's a tale full of sex, violence, and vengeance with lions being torn in half, Philistines being killed with a donkey's dentures, foxes being set on fire, and, and temples falling down and crushing thousands of people. Uh, reading these chapters of Judges, reading the story of Samson, it's like reading the script to a Quentin Tarantino film. In fact, I'm really surprised that Tarantino hasn't got a hold of this story and made it into uh, one of his films. Maybe that's probably quite a good thing. Um, it's, it's gripping. It's a gripping read. But it is an utterly, utterly depressing read as well. This downward spiral, God's people are getting worse. And, and as we have journeyed through the book of Judges, it's not only God's people that are getting worse, but actually God's judges, the, the saviors, the people that he sends to rescue his people, they seem to be just as flawed. They seem to be getting worse and worse also. And I think it's safe to say there's probably no judge more flawed than this one. Samson is the last judge and he is, in one sense, the most flawed judge. And so we had quite a massive reading there. And I think it's a good question for us to ask then, what's the big deal with Samson? Why is it that the author of Judges wants to talk more about Samson than he does any other judge? Well, I think the big deal with the he-man from Dan is down to two reasons. In Samson... We have a depressing picture of God's people, of all that is wrong with God's people. And secondly, in Samson, we have a hope-filled picture of the Savior God's people need. That's really the two points that I want to look at tonight as we sort of uh, unfold this very exciting narrative. We, we, we get in Samson kind of an embodiment of, of everything that is wrong with Israel at this time. And simultaneously, everything that Israel needs to be saved. So, firstly then, Samson is a depressing picture of all that is wrong with God's people. Just turn with me um, back to Judges chapter 2. This is the description, really, it's the kind of summary description of the book of Judges, of what's happening in this book. Judges chapter 2, page 201. Um, this is the description of God's people at the time of Judges. And I think this is also a very fitting description of what Samson is like. Judges 2 verse 16. This is what happened at that time. The Lord raised up judges who saved the people out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. 
They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So that's the description of God's people at this time. And I think that that is a, a very fitting description of what Samson is like. Samson is a depressing picture of all that, was, all that is wrong with God's people. So turn back to chapter 14. This is the first way we see uh, Samson being a picture of Israel at this time. Samson is sexually promiscuous with God's enemies. That's the first similarity we see. Samson is sexually promiscuous with God's enemies. Samson's birth, we read a little bit of it in chapter 13. It's a special occasion. Uh, His mother is told by an angel that she shall give birth to a judge who will begin to save God's people from the Philistine oppression they were facing. And so when we get to chapter 14, we're expecting someone impressive to arrive on the scene. None of the other judges had their birth recorded for them. This is, seems to be a special birth. This is going to be a special guy. He's been set aside to be this pure and holy savior. And then when we come to the start of chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, look at Samson's first encounter with the Philistines. He goes down to Timnah. He sees a Philistine girl. And in a childish manner, he demands that his father go and get that girl to make, him, to make her his wife. And naturally, his parents think, he's crazy. You're not meant to be marrying the Philistines. You're meant to be judging them. You're meant to be getting rid of them. But Samson is incessant. This is something that we'll see, uh, that you've noticed as we read Samson's life. He has a weakness for the ladies, um, which ends up really being his downfall. Um, But notice a few things about this. Look at why he wants this woman. Look at verse 3, at the end of verse 3 there, what he says um, to his father. Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. This is almost an exact echo of what we are about to see is the fundamental problem with Israel. A repeated refrain will start to come up in these last chapters of Judges. The people did what was right in their own eyes. The essence of Israel's sin, of their rebellion, is that they have no king to follow. They do not want to follow any of God's leaders, but they want to do what is right in their own eyes. That's what Samson's like. That's what he's doing here. He wants this woman because she is right in his eyes. He doesn't care about others. He just wants what he can get. And notice also as well the disrespect that Samson shows his parents. It's actually pretty shocking. I think it's pretty shocking for us today. In that culture, it would have been a lot more shocking. You would not speak to your father the way Samson does. Here we have Samson's father. If you were to read um, the rest of chapter 13, you would see what Samson's father is like. He is a faithful, godly man, a faithful follower of God. And Samson shows little respect to him. He ignores his plea and goes against what his father says. 
And again, that's the picture of Israel. So we saw in, in Judges 2, they ignored what their fathers had said and they turned away from God. And Judges 2 uses uh, that really stark language of, of sexual promiscuity to describe the people's sin by saying that they hoard after other gods. So they're turning their back on God. It's not disobeying a boss. It's fracturing a relationship that they had with the God who chose them, the God who, who wanted them to be his special nation. They have, dis, they have gone and slept with other gods. They have broken that relationship like an adulterous spouse. Samson here, rather than delivering the people, is sleeping with the enemy. We see it here. We see it in chapter 14 with this woman that he wants. We, we see it again in the start of chapter 16. Samson goes down to a town called Gaza um, for one reason. He wants to sleep with a Philistine prostitute. We see it again later on in chapter 16 with the very famous Delilah, another Philistine woman that Samson wants to sleep with. This man, Samson, is a tragic picture. This is what he's meant to be. This is what the author's trying to emphasize. He is a tragic picture of a nation that has prostituted itself away from God and committed spiritual adultery. Second way in which Samson is a picture of Israel is that he is deliberately disobedient to God's laws. Um, when Samson is born in chapter 13, he's told by his mother, um, he's told by an angel, sorry, his mother is told by an angel that he was to be a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite was a person set aside to be holy and pure to God. And according to God's law in Numbers chapter 6, they had to be, behave in a certain way to show that they were Nazarites, to show that they were chosen, that they were set aside to be pure and holy. So they couldn't have a razor touch their head which is why uh, Samson has his famous, luscious, I don't know if they were luscious, probably not, why he has these famous long locks. Um, But they were also not not allowed to go near any vine products, and they were not allowed to touch any dead things. They weren't allowed to go near any carcasses or any vine products. They were to be set apart as an example of purity, an example of holiness towards God. Now let's look at Samson, the pure and holy Nazarite in chapter 14. He goes down to Timnah to basically forcefully take this Philistine woman, this poor woman, as his wife. And as he is walking through a vineyard, verse 5, a lion attacks him. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and with his bare hands, he tears this lion in half. The author says that you would tear a young goat in half. I've never teared a young goat in half, but I imagine that's probably quite difficult. Um, But he's tearing a lion in half here. I find it pretty cool, to be honest. Um, Samson is what we in Edinburgh would call a mad raj. You would not want to get on the wrong side of this lad. Um, He tears this lion in half. He leaves this lion's carcass lying in a vineyard. And when he returns to it, he finds this kind of... um, I guess it's kind of a freak of nature incident. There's honey in the carcass of the lion. So because he's peckish, he decides to eat it. Samson is eaten from a dead body in a vineyard. Alarm bells would be ringing in an Israelite's head as they were reading this for the first time. 
And then look at verse 10. So he's getting married to this lady. Even prior to the wedding, he has a party with the lads. And if you think verse 10 sounds like a week-long stag party, that's because that's exactly what it is. The word used there for feast um, doesn't describe what you eat, but is always used in the Old Testament to talk about what you would drink. So he's boozing it up with his pals. And look at what he goes on to do with 30 of his guests. He tells them a riddle. Um, Verse 14, this is the riddle he tells them. Uh, Let's be honest, this is not an easy riddle to solve. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And how are they meant to get that? And Samson tells them that deliberately and puzzling riddle, not because he's having a laugh, but because he's trying to hustle these guys. He's trying to hustle his guests. Do you see that in verse 13? He's wanting to hustle them out of getting 30 garments of clothing. Now, I'm not a fan of clothes shopping. Um, That's why if you see me wearing anything new, it's a good chance either my birthday's passed or somebody's been very kind to me. Um, But this is kind of going above and beyond a joke. This savior, Samson, who is meant to be pure, who is meant to be holy, we see him here being greedy. We see him here being deceptive, touching carcasses, drinking from the vine. This man who was set aside... And like Samson, Israel too was set aside. Set aside to be a pure and holy nation. Set aside to be a witness to the other nations of what God was like so that they could come to him and be saved. And yet like Samson, Israel too has deliberately gone against the calling that God has placed upon their lives. Has deliberately gone against God's laws. Thirdly, We see um, Israel in Samson in that he is violently impulsive and stubborn. Uh, We've seen already from chapter 14 that Samson's the kind of guy, it's not the kind of guy you want to get on the wrong side of. And at the end of that chapter, um, he gives, basically his wife manages to get the answer to the riddle out of him. She goes and tells his guests. And so because he, he's been kind of shortchanged on his own hustle, and um, because he's not happy about that, in hot anger, he goes down to a Philistine town. He kills 30 people there and steals their clothes to pay back his guests. Then at the start of chapter 15, Samson um, returns to his wife with a young goat, which uh, I'm guessing is the ancient equivalent of a bouquet of flowers. I don't recommend you do that, guys, Um, turning up with a young goat. And I don't recommend you say what Samson said to his father-in-law in in verse 1. Again, he's a man driven by sexual appetite. He says to her, I will go into my wife in the chamber. And his father says, "Oh, oh, oh, you're here to see your wife. Well, I thought you hated her. So I gave her to your best man. Now, this is not a good move, and it unleashes kind of a chain of violence and vengeance that we see in chapter 15. Samson's response to this is uh, intense, to put it mildly. He goes and he captures 300 foxes. He ties their tails together with a torch, and he sets them loose 
in these Philistine crops. So he's saying, okay, so you took my wife. Well, now I've got reason to have vengeance against you. So I am going to burn your food supply. Samson is a one-man famine against the Philistines. And then the Philistines respond to that. And the Samson narrative, there is humor in it, often to convey a very serious and depressing point. But there is humor, kind of dark humor. But this is where it just starts to get depressing. It starts to go too far. And the Philistines respond to this strange act of Samson by burning his wife and by burning his father-in-law. And Samson responds to that by killing some of them and then running away and hiding. Now look at verse 9 to 13. Because this is the sadness, I think, that we, we really see uh, in the Samson narrative. Samson has, has, has run to head amongst his own people, the men of Judah. But the men of Judah don't want Samson there. He's a volatile, dangerous guy. They want to hand him over to the Philistines. And look at what they say to Samson. It's interesting, they have to take 3,000 men to go and arrest him because he's mental. But look at what they say in chapter, in verse 11 of chapter 15. 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Etam and they said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Why is this that you've done this to us? Now what's depressing about that is that usually in the judge's narrative, the people cry out to God for help. The people cry out and say, God, save us. And when the judge comes, they follow the judge to salvation. But here are God's people. And these are the men of Judah. These are the men that way back in chapter 1 of Judges were praised because they were the ones that were willing to fight God's enemies. And they've given up. There's no cry to God for help. They've just given up. They just accepted the fact that the Philistines are Lord over them. And so they go and try and hand Samson over to the Philistines. So they bind, they bind him. They take him to the Philistines. But as he is brought, bound towards the Philistines, uh, Samson does something that makes Jason Bourne look like a schoolgirl. He breaks the bonds as if they were nothing but flax. And he goes over to the carcass of a donkey, rips off its jawbone, and kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. This is a man filled with a lust for violence and vengeance. And as we go on, as we read the following chapters of Judges, what we'll see is that this is what Israel becomes. It becomes this violent nation that stubbornly refuses to listen to God, to follow his ways. Finally, we see Israel and Samson in that Samson was chosen by God but eventually left by him, but not totally abandoned. You see, despite Samson's hard-heartedness and flaws, God, God still provides for him. He, he prays at the end of, of verse, uh, at the end of chapter 15, and it's, it, to be honest, it's a very selfish prayer. Verse 18, he, he says, you know, you've granted me this salvation, now I'm going to die of thirst. Can you not give me some water, God? God doesn't respond by saying, how dare you say that? God provides for him because he prayed to God. 
And then in chapter 16, we have that famous story of Delilah. It's interesting to look at, if we look at the Delilah story in chapter 16, and if we look at it in tandem with the story of Samson's first wife in chapter 14, because it's a very similar account. In both instances, they're foreign women. In both instances, they try and trick Samson to giving away a secret. Chapter 14, it was a secret to uh, the unsolvable riddle. Uh, and In chapter 16, it's the secret of his supernatural strength. And in both instances, Samson eventually caves in. I don't know what was going through his head in chapter 16 after uh, three times of seeing that it's clearly Delilah setting him up for a trap. Um, But he does eventually tell her. And it's his downfall. But the difference is at the end of chapter 14, Samson goes and he faces God's enemies and the Spirit of God rushes upon him, strengthening him to fight the Philistines. And here at chapter 16, the Philistines come in, they shave his head, and then look at that devastating phrase, end of verse 20 there. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Eventually, after all his flaws, God leaves Samson. It's not, God doesn't leave him because he's had a haircut. His hair is, is just a sign, it's a symbol. God is the one who strengthened Samson. God is the one who gave him this ability to do these amazing things. And now God has left him. And Israel, if they continue to disobey God, he warns them time and time again, if you continue to disobey me, I will leave you. But Samson is never abandoned. Israel will never be totally abandoned. There is always a way open for return. If they will return to God, he will respond. And as Samson is taken by the Philistines, um, do you notice the sort of drama building in verse 22? The hair of his head begin to grow. It's the author saying, the story's not over. Something's going to happen. They bring him, gouge out his eyes, And they humiliate him. But it's at that moment of having his eyes gouged out that I think Samson really starts to see things properly. Previously, he'd been driven by what his eyes had desired. And now with them gone, he gets it. Hebrews 11 calls Samson a hero of the faith. It's quite hard when you read the story to find out, how is this guy a hero? But I think the most important moment in Samson's life is one redeeming moment is his death, where he expresses faith to God and he prays to God to get that strength back. And he stands between two pillars and says that prayer and pushes the pillars and the temple of Dagon, where he has been humiliated, is brought down. God's enemies are defeated and Samson dies. I think the author of Judges is trying to show his audience Samson is a picture of what you have become. It's the story of the book of Judges. How Israel, Israel became like the other nations. They refused to be distinct. And so they became like them. Samson wants to be with the Philistines. He wants to sleep with the Philistines. And then look at verse 30. He will even die with the Philistines. This, the Samson narrative, as thrilling as it may be, 
and as humorous as it may be, is nevertheless to be a, a, a depressing mirror of what Israel is like. This is actually as well, I would say, to be a mirror for us today of what we can be like when we turn from God. There's a story elsewhere in the Bible uh, of King David who committed adultery with a woman called Bathsheba and had her um, husband killed. Uh, And David is so sort of blinded by his own pride, he doesn't realize the, the magnitude of the wrong that he has done. And a prophet called Nathan comes to David and tells David the story of uh, a, a poor man who had a sheep and a rich shepherd who came and basically stole his sheep. And David's furious when he hears this story. He says, bring this man to me so I can judge him. And Nathan points at David and says those devastating words, you, O king, are that man. And I think in Judges 14 to 16, in one sense, it's a picture of a hor- horribly flawed person But as an Israelite reads this, they are to look at these words, they are to look at this man and hear those words, you, O Israel, are this man. And as we read this today, we can think what a horrible man Samson is, but not realize it's kind of God's way of telling us to wake up and to see that that's what we are like. Now, that doesn't mean that that we go and burn foxes or we kill people uh, with animal bones. An ancient Israelite wouldn't have been like that. Uh, They probably would have appeared very pedestrian, very normal. But Samson is a picture of their spiritual state. That's what we've seen. His extreme uh, outward actions are an expression of Israel's inward spiritual state. Those four points. Samson, he's kind of a caricature of Israel's problem. It's a heart issue. We may not be murderers. We may not be adulterers. But do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew? He says, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. If if you've looked at someone with hatred or anger, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus gets underneath the surface issue to the deeper heart problem. These outward actions are just manifestations of a deeper problem. We are like Samson. We are like this horrible man when we refuse to listen to God, when we do what is right in our own eyes. If you're here tonight as a follower of Jesus, that means that God's chosen you to be holy and pure, to be set aside as his treasured possession. And God wants us to live in a certain way, not to control us, but because he wants what's best for us. He wants us to be different to the people round about us, to live a life of holiness. Yet I wonder how many of us would live in a way contrary to what God says. Maybe we can draw a direct line between Samson and us. Maybe it is this issue of sex sex being in the context of a marriage between one man and one woman. It's amazing how many Christians seem to think it's okay to bypass God on that one because they want to do what is right in their own eyes. Or what about greed? Hasn't God told us that we are to be sacrificially generous with our money? But we can ignore that command so that we can be comfortable. Are we not to love our neighbor as ourselves? And yet, how many of us here tonight are harboring 
hatred and anger for certain individuals that, that we justify to ourselves, that, that we say is right in our eyes. If there is no difference in how we live as a follower of Jesus compared to how others live, it's a big problem. And it can be, outwardly we can appear very good, very nice, very moral, very religious, but inwardly we're no better than Samson. And I think for some here tonight, I wonder how many of you feel that perhaps you've just sort of drifted too far. You've drifted too far from God and what he wants. Some of you may be just starting to realize that. There's, there's a sin, there's a temptation that's, that's taken hold of you. And you may feel so far gone, it's almost like there is no way back. Like the men of Judah, just given up speaking to God, just giving up, asking God for help. Brothers and sisters, look at what we see in this story. This unbelievably flawed man, deserving nothing from God, receives grace from him nonetheless. Your rebellion can never be greater than God's grace. His hand is always open. It's as if God is saying to Israel in this passage, if only you would pray, if only you would turn back to me, I would come and save you. Maybe that's what he's saying to some tonight who are slipping away. If only you would turn back and pray. There is no begrudging acceptance with God. Jesus tells us in the parable of the prodigal son that God's acceptance of the repentant sinner is like a father running out to embrace his wayward son. So how how can we know that God would accept us? Well, This is the second point, and we'll bring it into land with this point. And in one sense, I think it's probably the most important point. As well as being a picture of everything that is wrong with Israel, Samson is a picture of everything that Israel needs. He is a hope-filled picture of God's Savior, of God's true Savior. If we see ourselves in Israel, and we must see ourselves in Israel when we read the Old Testament, then we too, like them, need a Savior. What kind of savior? Well, in one sense, we need a savior uh, unlike Samson, one who is going to be pure and holy. Chapter 13, verse 5, Samson's mother is told that she will conceive and bear a son who will begin to save. But as we read Samson's story, as we read Samson's story, we know Samson's not the real savior. The narrator wants to make that obvious. When Samson does save, it's because the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And even Samson himself knows this. Chapter 15, verse 18. He says to God, he prays to God, you have granted this salvation. Such a great salvation comes only from the hand of God. So the Savior we need, the Savior that Israel needed, has to be God himself. And 3,000 years or so after Samson, Another woman was told by an angel that she would conceive and give birth to a son. And his name would be Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Because he will save. He will not begin to save like Samson. He will save not just Israel, but all humanity from a much bigger problem. Jesus 
is the perfect saviour. That's the saviour we need. That's what every time we've looked through the book of Judges, we're now at this last judge, as we've seen all the flaws of these human saviours, it's there to point us towards um, the perfect saviour. It's there to build up a picture in our head of the perfection of Christ. Where these judges failed, Christ succeeded. I don't know if you've seen that episode of The Simpsons where um, Homer's reading the Bible. And I think uh, Lisa comes up to him and asks him, what's that about? And he kind of closes it and takes off his glasses and says, well, they're all pretty messed up, apart from this one guy. That's a good summary of the Bible. They're all messed up, apart from this one guy. That's the point of the book of Judges. They are messed up, we are messed up, but not this guy, not this Savior, not Jesus. That is the Savior we need. That's what the book of Judges is all about. Now, we don't need to be saved from an oppressive power like the Philistines, but it's something far greater, something far more terrifying that we need to be rescued from. This is just a picture of a greater salvation. We're not under the oppression of the Philistines, but the Bible makes it very clear we are under what the Apostle Paul would call the domain of darkness, the rule of Satan. We are under the wrath of God as human beings. By our default nature, we are all God's enemies. All that we do in life is not built around following him, but but our default condition is to do what is right in our own eyes. No matter how good you are, that means that there is no neutral plane with God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not on a neutral plane. You're his enemies. And if we are God's enemies, it means that we are on the side of God's ultimate enemy, which is Satan. That's the enemy, though, that Jesus has come to rescue us from. Jesus has come to change that. He has come to deliver us from the domain of darkness and to bring us into his kingdom. That's why he needs to be a strong savior. After Jesus' baptism, something happens to Jesus. Uh, The gospel writers describe this event in which the spirit of God, like Samson, descends upon Jesus. And what happens? Like Samson, he immediately goes out into the wilderness to face Satan, to face God's ultimate enemy. And he succeeds where Samson and where all of us has failed. He remains pure and holy, despite the fact that Satan was tempting him. That's his strength. Jesus is a strong savior. He's not some wishy-washy hippie. He's a warrior. Not not the, the egotistical meathead like Samson, but a pure, humble warrior who in his moment of apparent weakness showed unimaginable strength, strength that none of us could show. And like Samson, the ultimate act of salvation that Jesus would achieve came at his death. Like Samson, Jesus was betrayed by somebody closest to him. Like Samson, Jesus was tortured and humiliated before a crowd of people. Like Samson, Jesus gained our salvation through his death. In Judges 16, God shows his power over Dagon, the Philistine God, and defeats him in Samson's death. When we get to the cross of Jesus, Jesus shows us his power over Satan and defeats him in his death. When Jesus is crucified, that's the moment of salvation. 
because it's at that moment that he takes the punishment for all the wrong that we have done, that we will ever do in life. He takes the punishment for it so that we could be declared forgiven, so that we could be declared righteous in God's eyes. Not because we've done anything, but because he has stepped into our place as our substitute. Jesus does that so that Satan will have no hold on us so that we can be delivered out of the domain of darkness and brought into his kingdom as his treasured possession. The enemies of God thought they had the victory in Samson's narrative. In chapter 16, verse 23, they were praising Dagon for capturing Samson. But God had the victory. And as Jesus was crucified, the people crucifying him thought they had the victory. But that was Christ's victory. It's at his death that Satan's grip on us is gone. That's the only way we can be saved. We need a savior. And if you don't have Jesus, and you think that you can rely upon yourself for salvation, you are not strong enough. And the consequences will be devastating. And if you are, you can know that as a Christian with all certainty that there is nothing because of the strength of the Savior. There is nothing, no power of hell. There is no scheme of man that could ever pluck us from his hands. We have to, to use the words of of Samson, we have such a great salvation. Sin and death. That that was Satan's hold on us. That's what Satan had against us. That's what, what it meant for us to be under his rule. We were sinners under the curse of death. But Jesus has changed all that in his death. He has flipped it around. Sin doesn't have a hold on us. Jesus has dealt with that. Death has no sting, no victory. Jesus has removed its sting so that when we do die, we are with him. Satan has no sway in us. And if you are feeling the weight of sin, we can come back to Christ and we can cast all these things upon him because he has already destroyed them. I love what Martin Luther says. He used to say that when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Let's pray together. Father, thank you um, that you're God who speaks to us as we study this uh, character uh, from history from so long ago. Lord, you have um, shown him to us to expose those areas in our lives where we may be behaving like him. Lord, as your people turned from you and did what was right in their own eyes, we recognize that so often do we do that. Lord, we recognize that by our nature, we are objects of wrath, that we are your enemies, that we are rebels. But we also know with all certainty that Jesus, our Savior, the truly strong Savior has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He has brought us into his kingdom. No longer does Satan have any hold on us because Christ is our Savior. No longer will sin be used against us because Christ is our Savior. He has removed our sin. No longer is 
death got a sting because Christ is our Savior. And so, Father, we thank you for our ultimate Savior, the one that all these flawed judges were pointing towards. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he succeeded, not only where Samson failed, but where all of us failed. Thank you that it's by his grace we have been saved, not by anything that we could do or have done, but it's purely out of his love and compassion for us that we are safe. Father, thank you for these great gospel truths that we see in this story. In Jesus' name, amen.